Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York. Where today is Sunday, December 3rd, 2023. And I'm joined today by Chris Gull. Hello. Hello. And by Jesse Collings. Hello. Hello, everyone. Chris Gull is uh, watching soccer this morning. Yep. Wrexham just uh, scored one nothing. Wow. We've been discussing the, the merits of uh, various soccer leagues as we were preparing to go live and on the air this morning. Uh, I know next to nothing about non-American football, not that much about American football, uh, but Jesse and, and, and Gullo were, were educating me as we prepared uh, to, to hit the go live button. Um, also, uh, tangential to that, learning something about capitalism. Um, but today... Today on the program, this is a free episode, if you don't know, of WrestleNomics Radio, which is free every first Sunday of the month and weeks other than that, though. It is just for subscribers at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, uh, where we do this every single Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, uh, but once a month here, free for everyone, which means extra policing of the chat may be required. Um, but we're going to talk today about NASCAR. And, and some other things in the TV rights world and any relation that may have to the, the raw TV deal that is yet to be finalized, uh, AEW TV rights, uh, what's happening with W stock layoffs at W headquarters, uh, the all in ticket sales tickets are now on sale. Uh, we will talk maybe about the, the lawsuit that, uh, came to light earlier this week, uh, uh, surrounding the UFC WWE merger. CM Punk made his return to Raw for the first time in nearly 10 years. Uh, a press release came out about WWE Survivor Series and all the great business it did. Uh, Collision took a beating again going against WPLE. And we'll look at some coverage estimates from Nielsen about networks. And then finally, the, the, the big bait here today is that at the end we will reveal, we will reveal, that's what you have to put in the headline, uh, we will report the estimated top sellers for WWE Shop, according to Russellnomics estimates of the top sellers pages uh, of, well, the top sellers page of the apparel section of WWE Shop. Um, the leader up to this point has been LA Knight for four months in a row. We will tell you what the, what the estimates are for November uh, as one of our last topics of the day. Um, and that's an, that's an important talk, topic, Brandon, because when you're in arguments with people online, yes. you want to justify uh, you know, why you think X and why someone else is wrong for thinking Y. Yes. You you don't have to just say, well, they move a bunch of merch. You're going to have some data, some relatively reputable data to back up your argument on why the person wrestler you like deserves to be pushed and the wrestler that someone else likes deserves to be buried. Yeah. It's really important that your favorite wrestler is accepted absolutely by the masses. Correct. And anybody who's competing with that favorite wrestler is invalidated by broad economic behavior of the masses. That's important. And, and that's one of the services that we offer here uh, at WrestleNomics. And, and, and by the way, if you're not signed you're up speaking, already, I know, I know you're joking, but you're a hundred percent correct. And that, that is one of the services that we offer is WrestleNomics charts that suggest uh, certain things that people use in arguments against other people. And I am not above that. I've, I've used it quite, quite, quite frequently. I would stress that you can like something without the rest of the world liking it though. And you don't need everybody else's, uh, economic behavior to validate uh, your preferences. Uh, cool. But if you want to sign up, it's at patreon.com slash you get this podcast every week as well as my TV ratings reports. Uh, 
viewership spreadsheet, the monthly reports that we do, including related to match counts, merchandise, YouTube, uh, and the podcast slides that we're going through right now. Uh, we did have a podcast this past Wednesday, Pollock and Thurston, where we talked to Todd Martin from the PW Torch about the return of CM Punk. That's for free for everybody if you haven't checked that out already. But let's get started with NASCAR. Gold, do you know anything about NASCAR? I feel like you're, you know some things uh, about NASCAR. A little bit, not, not as much in the most recent years. But I actually worked uh, a NASCAR event at, at one point. Uh, you worked for NASCAR? For ESPN. Well, through for ESPN, yes. Through a, a, a third-party company called Quackman Productions. I worked a Poconos race, but it wasn't the main one. It was like it was like the Coca-Cola something. It was the secondary race that they have. The so it was the Xfinity, the Xfinity Cup, which, of course, well, recently signed a deal well, with the CW. It, it was the main cars, but it was just they have two races each year at Poconos. It wasn't just the big one. It was like uh, – but the the Xfinity one actually that weekend was in Montreal, so it caused a lot of uh, chaos because some race in both. So. Okay. So who are NASCAR's current TV partners here in the United States? Fox and NBCU. Fox and NBC. And that's it. Nobody else at the moment. At the moment. Uh, I think that's right. I don't think they're on TNT. They might be, though. With, the, with like, this deal set to expire at the end of 2024. I feel like the current divide is Fox gets half the races and then NBCU gets half the races and they switch back and forth. I think that's right. Like one in basically they, they get the they switch the Daytona 500 and then like the, the, the race for the chase, which is the playoffs essentially. So well, one year Fox will get the Daytona 500 and the chase and NBCU will get the playoffs and then flip it around. NBCU will get the Daytona 500 and Fox gets the playoffs. I think that's how it currently works. Well, let's look at this report from Sports Business Journal because NASCAR has a new TV deal. They finalized a new TV deal with many partners. Uh, this report is coming from the Sports Business Journal on Wednesday. Uh, Adam Stern and John O'Rand writing, NASCAR is on the cusp of announcing a $7.7 billion deal with Fox Sports, NBC, Warner Brothers Discovery, and Amazon. Uh, of course, they already have it. The, the average a annual value of the deals included the previously announced CW deal uh, is $1.1 billion a year, which represents about a 40% increase over NASCAR's current deals. How, how much of an increase did SmackDown get, by the way? An average annual value for its new deal, which will bring SmackDown from Fox to USA. How much of an increase did they get in average annual value? Does anyone remember? I believe it was a uh, 1.4. Yeah, it couldn't be a forty percent, a forty percent increase from two hundred five to I believe two eighty seven. Um, the report goes on from SBJ. Uh, the deals deals start in twenty twenty five and run through the end of the twenty 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 thirty one season. NASCAR executives said the drawn out negotiations, which started earlier this year. Took longer than expected. Sound familiar? Uh, later in the report, Fox will get 14 Cup Series races annually in the first portion of the season, and including the D Daytona 500. After Fox carries its 14 events, Amazon's Prime Video will stream five events, marking the first time that NASCAR's premier events will be exclusively streamed. Warner Brothers Discovery will take over Amazon's races and carry the next five, which will be simulcast on both the TNT and on the BR Sports tier. On the Max streaming service, NBC Sports will complete the season with 14 races. So this is new content for Amazon and for WBD. All these races happen on Sunday, though, right? Um, not all of them. A majority of them happen on Sunday, but there are several races throughout the year that will take place on Friday or on Saturday night in prime time, like a Saturday night Ooh. night race. So, and, and um, 
the, the thing that comes to mind here is any chance that this will increase the number of preemptions uh, that AEW programs uh, have? If there's a Saturday night race, maybe. If it's a Saturday night and it's on uh, TNT, then yes. Yeah. Uh, for comparison to the New Deal, Fox this year aired 18 races while NBC aired 20, inclusive of two exhibition events and 36 points events. No idea what that means. Of the 14 races to be aired by Fox the, Sports... Uh, Sorry, the expedition events would be events such as the Rose Bowl race that they have, like a, basically a preseason race um, before the Daytona 500. Okay. Of the 14 races to be aired by Fox Sports, five will be on Fox Broadcast, while the rest will be on FS1. Of the 14 to be aired on NBC Sports, four will be on NBC Broadcast, while the rest will be on the USA Network. What's the What's the difference between being on... USA versus NBC or being on Fox versus FS1. What's the big difference there? I mean, access and homes. Mm-hmm. The reach that you have um, for, for you know, a, a clear example, we have Sm- uh, SmackDown now is viewed by more people today than it was um, even years ago when you had advantages of, of cable being in more homes when uh, SmackDown was on the USA Network, which we'll be going back to, and probably will have lower viewership as a result, just because Fox is in in more homes, and maybe being a more high-profile network helps bring bring the viewership uh, number up. Um, NASCAR carved out a package of practice and qualifying sessions of uh, for the Cup Series. Amazon Prime will carry these events from the start of the season through the end of its races, with some exceptions. Uh, WBD's Max will carry these events for the remainder of the season. After that, practice and qualifying will stream on Max uh, and air on Linear TV and on True TV. Uh, the Xfinity Series, the CW, will air all those races Yada, yada. Uh, NASCAR convinced the media companies to cross-promote the races that appear on other channels. So sounding a little like the NFL there and that yeah. they will actually promote, hey, there's a, there's another event coming up here on this other channel. As I've, I've, I've been watching carefully for that this season on the NFL broadcasts where you got like Jim Nance promoting Sunday Night Football on NBC when he's broadcasting on CBS. Have it in the, the Bills-Eagles game. Yes. I think yeah, exactly. the, the NBA has been doing that for years too. So – there's that. I mean, like, what relevance does why, – why am I talking about NASCAR's TV deals on a, on a wrestling business um, because podcast? NASCAR, because NASCAR is very similar to WWE in a lot of ways. It, they're both, both of our work, yes. Uh, what other ways are they similar? Well, both of them, for starters, deal with the stigma associated with their fan base, which is mainly Southern, mainly lower-income uh, families, which – um, so you're talking about that impacts sponsorship, that impacts ad rates, and both companies have worked hard to try to remove that stigma from uh, that. Now, NASCAR is inherently always going to be Southern. A majority of the races still take place in the South. Um, a lot of the drivers probably disproportionately come from the South, although there are plenty of drivers from all over the country. Um, but they've been trying to work very hard to make it seem like a a more modern, more uh, universal appealing product as opposed to a regional sport that only caters to um, a small segment of of the population. Um, NASCAR was very popular in the late 90s into early 2000s. They had some pretty marketable drivers that probably even non-NASCAR fans would recognize. uh, Dale Earnhardt and then Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart. Um, But those Racers have really retired. They have moved on. 
Um, and they've NASCAR kind of went through a phase where they've been trying to replace those drivers with new stars. Um, I would say that a few years ago, they were very much in the infancy stage. And now we have kind of last three or four years, we've fully seen some of those drivers kind of take over, win championships, where drivers like Chase Elliott, who's Bill Elliott's son, who's probably uh, their most popular driver at the moment. But we've also seen drivers like Ryan Blaney, who just won the championship this year. Um, you know, uh, there's, so there's, so we're seeing some more people, Kyle Larson, William Byron, some wrestlers, some wrestlers, some drivers in their twenties that I think are breaking out um, and trying to become independent individual stars that can draw fans to the product. Um, and I think the marketing strategy from NASCAR has been very similar uh, to WWE. They've been trying to get more sponsors. They've been trying to get sponsors away from the typical, you know, automotive related sponsors or, or Southern grocery store chains or things like that, trying to get more universal. Um, I think Bubba Wallace, um, who's NASCAR's most prominent black driver. Um, he's not a, a top level driver. He did make the second round of the playoffs this time. There's uh, this playoffs year. In, in, in NASCAR? Yes, the chase, the chase. Yes, there are playoffs yeah. in NASCAR. So he made the second round and he's been, I think, very beneficial to them in terms of getting sponsorships. He's got Pretty big sponsorships with like McDonald's, uh, Columbia, Jackets, um, DoorDash. So we're seeing some bigger companies come, become involved with him, but also some of the other younger drivers that are breaking out. So I could I, I, I see a lot of similarities between WWE and NASCAR and a lot of their business approaches um, and the kind of the both related stigma that they face in terms of what their audience is and what sponsors are willing to invest in that audience. Um, and so – NASCAR is done now. So what is the, besides WWE and UFC, which are not the answer to this question, what are the biggest deals that are left on the table that need to be renewed in the immediate future for U.S. media rights? I mean the NBA. The NBA is on the table. And the NBA, is th those rights in the U.S. are currently held by Disney, which is, if, if you're in the media business, you just, you just you don't call it ESPN. You call it Disney. Uh, they have rights, of course, across ESPN and ABC. And WBD on TNT is, of course, airing uh, NBA as well. Um, and we have uh, Andrew Marchand saying that he doesn't know if, uh, if they'll even double NBA rights. I think not too long ago, we were talking about NBA wanting to triple their, their rights. Um, so I want to read this tweet from Pat Crakes, who is a a uh, media consultant and a former Fox executive. And it's, it's always something I recommend people do is to read Pat Craig's tweets. And then you could spend hours just trying to uh, analyze them and, and, and figure out what, uh, what, what he means for, uh, for lay people like us, where he says uh, in response to a quote from Andrew Marchand, where he says, I'm not sure they double the rights for NBA. Uh, Pat Craig says zero growth media business overall means right fee growth for top properties will be less than anticipated with more complicated routes to secure rights fees involving trade-offs with reach and risk. We've seen already with Thursday Night Football, MLS, Xfinity, Pac-12, as well as local team rights. Does anyone know what he's talking about here? Streaming services? Streaming services being the ones negotiating and not the cable companies because Thursday Night Football's Amazon Prime, MLS is on Apple TV. I know Pac-12 got a deal was from Apple TV or Amazon. I couldn't remember. Well, they got offered a deal and they turned it down. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. 
Pat, Pat Craig, Craig's tweets are like an academic paper. You're like, well, what does he mean? I think he means <laughs> – look, look, we're uh, sports rights – which have grown and grown and grown at a kind of an exponential rate over the last several decades. Um, that growth is looks to be leveling off. And because it's not what, what those sports content producers like NASCAR and NBA and WWE are expecting them to be, what we're seeing uh, instead is the rights getting more fragmented. You're giving it to, to multiple partners, as we're seeing in the case of NASCAR, where they had just NBC and Fox as their partners, right? Now they have like five partners <laughs> because they have Fox, NBC, WBD, Amazon, and CW. Um, so we're seeing that. And the trade-off is lessening your reach, maybe having to make a deal with Amazon Prime Video, despite it being a lot of homes, not getting as much use, certainly, as, as the reach and power of a Fox broadcast, of NBC broadcast. And it, uh, as much reach for now, mm-hmm. because I think part of this is a lot of these sports leagues and entities have an eye on the future, which is maybe not related to cable and maybe not related to broadcast media at all. I think when you look at the NASCAR deal, that's part of it, right? Which is they have a very small portion of the schedule right now that's only going to be on Amazon Prime. Now, it's not going to be the Daytona 500 and it's not going to be the playoffs. It's going to be kind of the the least important part of the schedule. They're also going to have like qualifying and things like that. So what is that for? That is to get your hardcore, loyal, weekly NASCAR viewers who maybe have never used Amazon Prime before, if they're not Thursday Night Football fans, um, they are going to find out how to use Amazon Prime if they want to watch NASCAR. And that's the benefit, is you're, you're taking your fan base and getting them used to watching something on streaming. So if they do eventually cut the, the cord, they do stop kind of watching broadcast television at the same rate. They are familiar with not only using streaming services, but finding your product on the streaming services and associate your product with the streaming services, which I think is kind of part of the long-term calculation when we see these split um, TV rights that are split between um, streaming and, and linear television. Yeah. So I, I think that's a good time to just jump ahead in our slides here and look at some coverage estimates that sports TV ratings reported uh, earlier this week from Robert Sedman. It's a sub stack that I recommend everybody subscribe to. Uh, this is the December cable coverage estimates from Nielsen looking at all these different cable networks and how many homes are they in and, and how about how many TV homes do we have in the United States at this point? Does anyone know? Any guesses? Sorry, what was the question? How many TV homes are there in the United States? Total TV homes? Homes, households with TVs in them. With a physical television. It's, it's like um, it's like 110 million or something like that. According to Nielsen, it's 125 as of, as okay. of December. Um, and so of those 125 homes with TV, now that doesn't mean cable, doesn't mean pay TV, just a TV, 125 million of them, of those... About 75 million of them have what we're calling here multi-channel, which means basically cable or satellite or virtual MVPD. 75 million out of 125 million. Um, So that puts some of these networks that broadcast sports at about 70 million homes, maybe 71 million homes. Uh, They're all at about the same level, the ones that we're looking at here, which are FS1, TNT, USA, and TPS. Of course, all of those air, at least sometimes in, in this moment, uh, wrestling. Uh, FS1 is airing some, uh, you know, uh, SmackDown 
preemptions. I think they even air some replays of SmackDown regularly. But, of course, the first runs are on Broadcast Fox. Uh, TNT, of course, airing Collision, Rampage, USA with Raw, and TBS with Dynamite. So all in about 71 million homes at this point right now in, in December. Um, and how many subscribers does Netflix have? And Netflix is the leading uh, streaming service in the United States. About how many subscribers in the United States does Netflix have? I want to say it's around the 75 million mark. I think it might be over that. It's like we are getting awfully close here. Oh, yeah. um, okay. So, the, and this is my estimate of, of what's actually in the U.S. Netflix reports U.S. plus Canada. So I'm just sort of taking – I'm just making a proportionate estimate relative to the population sizes of the two countries. Um, so about 69 million homes is Netflix in, in the United States. Um, and that, and they are seeing some incremental growth. I, th- I think all this sort of media crisis happened maybe somewhat in, in co- coinciding with – the economy not being as hot as it once was. But we're, really, I think this sort of media crisis started to happen in about April 2022 when Netflix reported it in one of its quarterly reports that, hey, we had no growth in our subscribers worldwide uh, from one quarter to the next, whereas it was unknown where this growth was going to stop. And then, oh, it plateaued. Um, but there's still, I think, you know, with, with some, some strategic measures, including trying to uh, and password sharing, um, they are squeezing some more subscribers out here. So looking like it's it, maybe it's got some more growth over time. In any case, we're getting really oh. close to the leading streaming service being on par with with the leading cable networks. Yeah. And if I could bring up Netflix for a minute, um, you know they don't have any live sports, and uh, and I've, and them being they had that golf million. tournament. Did you see that golf tournament they did? No, I didn't see that. Well, I, I mean, they kind of catered to. to it's gonna be when I'm in, but did, have you guys seen and the, the cup media broke, blast remember? commercials? <laughs> have you guys seen the media blast commercials that they're doing now for Netflix Sports? Now it's all their like docu series, but they're like now like presenting it like I saw like watching NFL uh, last week or whatever. And I wonder if they are teasing with the idea to get to live sports because then that will be interesting to see if that number grows. Uh, so Netflix, so that is going to be a live, that was a live tournament. They huh? did it. It, it already happened. It happened like a week. So that, so there you go. So, I mean, I'm intrigued to see, uh, if they actually, I feel like they're secretly, a a candidate for the NBA. So, and, and this is uh, the celebration where I think it was like celebrities. Anyway, they, they, they awarded the winner with, with the Netflix cup for winning this tournament and, and somebody dropped, you know, the winner dropped the, the trophy and it broke here. Uh, this was kind of a, a, a funny moment. So, yeah, I think um, Netflix has done a lot of things that it said it would never do, including ads. Um, and they're, they're definitely toying with the idea of live. They've done some live stand-up stuff, right? Didn't they, wasn't yeah, that Dave Chappelle? Chris Rock. Thing? They, Chris Rock. Or no, Dave Chappelle. No, it was Dave Chappelle. What? No, yeah, it was Chris Rock. Yeah, yeah, it was Chris yeah. Rock, yeah. Um, maybe Netflix. Um, we'll, we'll Let's get into... Uh, what's happening with with raw though uh, which is on slide number nine um so there's reports out i would i would call them well where where have i got my notes here um raw rights are reportedly near being completed let's start first with pw insider reported on wednesday that paul Levesque missed the raw taping in nashville this week as he was handling quote other wwe business leaving Bruce Pritchard to run the taping. PW Insider has learned from several sources in the entertainment and broadcast realms that WWE, Nick, WWE's Nick Khan and Paul Levesque have been in Los Angeles over the last several days working on securing the media rights deal for Monday Night Raw going forward. Um, P- 
Kibi and Cyrus told that there are several suitors at this juncture. Um, so in, in LA, there's what, if who knows who they're meeting with, but there's Disney's headquarters is in LA. Um, WBD's CEO's office is in LA, although there was a conference, uh, deal book conference that everybody was at. So I don't know that David Zasloff himself was, was in town. Um, and Amazon studios is in the LA area as well. Uh, and then we have the observer reporting on Thursday, late night, WB was hoping for a $400 million deal, which would put it at a 1.5 X increase, which would be a better deal than the 1.4 X increase that they got for SmackDown. Uh, but analysts believe it'll be closer to 387 million per year. We looked at a, a month ago, I guess, cause it was the last free show we did. We looked at a JP Morgan analysis where, um, JP Morgan was figuring, I think something close to that, a 1.4 X increase, just, just as a base case, because uh, SmackDown got a 1.4 X increase. Maybe raw will get the same. Um, in any case, uh, the observer goes on regarding WBD, which would be the game changer in many ways. If it happened, the WBD version told to many this past week is that Nick Khan last went to WBD in October, two months ago with a pitch and was turned down. There's always the caveat that because of the AEW relationship that a surprise could happen, but it's one of those things where those in WBD have privately said there's nothing to the idea TBS or TNT is the destination for the show to a number of people in recent days. Those in WBD constantly had WBD as a long shot for the reason they believe WBD owned a percentage of AEW, but whatever the destination is, they are said to be close to finalization and the asking price is believed to be in the $387 million per year range. Um, so there's that. Is uh, Raw going to go to WBD? I'd, I would, I would think that's one of the lesser likely candidates, but who knows? Um, other possible candidates: Amazon Prime Video, FX seems maybe the most likely one. The FX is a Disney network now, and it looks like FX will not be dealt along with a number of other networks by Disney to maybe a, a suitor like NextStar. So it's not like you would not want to make a big commitment because you're going to sell this network. If you're not going to sell the network, okay, it's FX and, and you're going to keep it. Um, you know, Brandon Ross had questions about whether or not, though, that FX would really benefit in terms of being able to drive more carriage value by having WWE. I don't know what the calculus is there, but that's that was his his view on it. Um, so FX, Prime Video, USA could always renew it. Um, but it's sounding like, I mean, according to Dave there in the Observer, that maybe there will be a deal announced soon. Um, I asked around when when this chatter started and I got nowhere. Um, I was also told that a big push for Netflix, I would be shocked if Netflix ends up with Raw. Um, I, but I guess that's where we're at. Any thoughts there? I, 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 my, I still think Raw is going back to uh, to, to USA. I think mm-hmm. that is. I think I would say that is the most likely spot for it to Raw go. and SmackDown on USA. Yes, I think the fact that SmackDown went to USA makes me think that Raw is likely to go to USA, and it makes me think that maybe some of these other other suitors are not that interested in meeting the price that WWE wants it to hit. And until we see one of these suitors spend big money on pro wrestling and on WWE, um. I feel like NBCU remains the most likely uh, part, uh, most likely home for, for Raw and SmackDown. 
And as far as the, the WBD theory, I guess the theory would be that I mean, if you got NBA rights coming up, probably going to go in, in more diverse pieces than just Disney and WBD. Maybe NBC ends up with some, maybe Amazon ends up with some. In any case, you probably – a good, real good chance that you end up with a WBD deal for NBA that doesn't have as many games or maybe doesn't even have one of the nights. I mean it's Tuesday and Thursday basically every week during the NBA regular season. They're airing NBA games. So maybe if you end up with less NBA, maybe you want to supplement that and you've got more money to – use on other things maybe raw um but the the notion going against that idea is that would wbd want to have wrestling uh, from both wb and aw on their network on one hand there's there's theoretically a good thing about having all the wrestling on well it wouldn't be all of it because smackdown would still be on usa but having more of the wrestling this is your destination for wrestling maybe that's a simpler message to market but if WBD owns a minority stake in AEW, which I strongly believe is true, based on, for one thing, Tony's response uh, to that question a few conference calls ago, where he would, he would, he would not confirm that WBD has an ownership stake. He's not saying that they do, uh, but he's open to them having more if if they have any in the first place. Something to that effect. Um, so. If you're WBD, do you do you want to do business with Raw or do business with WWE and have your business tied to their success, which is a competitor to a to a company that not only are you doing business with, but that you have an equity stake in? So that's a point against. I, I think the Warner Bros. Discovery idea is a long shot. You know, it seems like Nikon, you know, brought him up kind of late just to see if there's any interest there. And I think a lot of the discussion about Raw going to Warner Bros. Discovery is being uh, amplified by people. It makes a really good headline, though. Come on. Yeah, people panicking about what it means for the broader wrestling world and things like that, I think. Um, I, I just – I don't see it happening. It would be a fascinating story and – an even longer shot, perhaps. But I think if, if you're ever going to have some sort of WWE and AEW interaction, that the the best way for it to happen is because they have they are sharing a TV partner who encourages it. And there's at least in the short term a lot of business to be done uh, in that regard. Um, the state of current. You think like the you think like the wrestling world is, is is in tremendous need of WWE and AEW interaction. I, I think they would pay think, a, a fabulous price for it. Do you think there's like a ton of interest in that? Yeah, I mean, if you had a a card with matches between WWE and AEW talent and TV shows building up to that, I think that would do huge ratings. I think that would do a huge viewership number uh, for the eventual event. If you wanted to put it on pay-per-view, I think it would do a tremendous number on pay-per-view. I think it'd be tremendous. I think it, I think it would. I think it would drive interest, but I, I would say I think it drives less interest than maybe a lot of people think. Okay. Um. But the current deals, Raw is currently valued at 265. You got the observer saying maybe 387 is perhaps what they want for a new deal. Um, SmackDown has a new deal for about 287 average annual value over their 205 deal. You've got the Peacock rights that are currently you know, sitting with the NBC Universal for the W Network. Those will be renewed uh, in 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 time before they expire for in March 2026, probably going to be shopped around with UFC rights on ESPN plus. Um, so you can see some, there's, there's some strategic thought here around, like if you have a deal of some sort with Amazon, well, for, for raw or even for next day rights, which are also on the table, I believe here. Um, if you have a deal with Amazon, maybe that also, it, 
it attracts Amazon to be interested in those W network rights. Or if you have a deal with FX, which is a Disney property, maybe that makes ESPN more interested in buying W network rights uh, when those are shot in the next year or so. Um, and we know CW is getting NXT going from about $15 million as it currently stands with NBCU and will go up to about $25 million in the new deal. Um, and then we've got AEW. Still don't know much about a, a new AEW deal. Um, they're probably somewhere around $70 million, maybe a little bit more now with the addition of AEW Collision, but nothing new. I've kind of asked around about that too and it, it, it seems like there's some sort of hang-up, or maybe we're just list, just waiting for the NBA deal to be done so that all those financials, which are much larger, much, much larger, are in place to see what kind of you know time slots and money is left uh, on the table after NBA rights are finalized. Um, but the, I guess one of the big changes here is that if, if Raw is really done before NBA, if they really announce a deal like next week or something, which doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility, if they really announce a deal like next week, which is well before a new... NBA deal presumably will be done because we don't expect a new NBA deal to be completely finalized until after the NBA season is done because that's where roughly where the exclusive negotiating window with NBA's incumbents will end. So it doesn't look like NBA is going to finish a deal until somewhere after that exclusive window ends. Um, so raw, a raw deal getting done would be a surprise relative to things that I've said here before. Um, which would raise the question then, well, if, if WWE can get a deal done before an NBA deal, maybe it, maybe AEW can get a deal done before an NBA deal as well. Well, wouldn't that still apply to the SmackDown deal, which did get done? True. Yeah. Yeah. So we are seeing it now. Is and, it and, and NXT that, as well. Yeah. Is it perhaps that, you know, those, you know, the SmackDown deal with being done with NBCU, maybe they're, they're less – uh, reliance on the NBA deal in terms of making major financial decisions as opposed to Warner Bros. Discovery, which is obviously has much more invested with the NBA currently, is is has a lot more at stake. So in terms of AEW getting renewed um, with their te- with Warner Bros. Discovery, which seems the most likely route for the next television deal, certainly from the way Tony talks and operates, that would seem to be likely. Um, they have much more at stake regarding the NBA than, than maybe NBCU or the CW, which WWE has been able to do deals with before. And that's about all I have for media rights at the moment. Um, TKO stock still just under $80 per share. Pretty much at that level since Vince made his moves uh, selling a large portion, about $600 million worth of his stock. Uh, There were layoffs this week, this Friday, in fact, uh, at at W headquarters uh, where we had – Areas affected. So this is a second round of layoffs. There were layoffs in September of over 100 employees just after the closure of the TKO merger. Uh, the areas affected on Friday included finance, the sales and, sp- and partnerships team, human relations, and production. Uh, this is you know continuing to be uh, layoffs related to the, the TKO merger, where they say they're going to make 50 million to 100 million dollars in annual savings because of the fabulous synergies of merging. WWE and Zufa, uh, which is UFC's parent company. Uh, we did, did have some some recognizable names here among the layoffs, including uh, senior vice presidents. Uh, Michael Weitz. We all know Michael Weitz, don't we? That, that, does that ring a bell with either of you? No. No. Uh, I think Ma- you mentioned he was in like previous uh, conference calls because of stock investors. Is that the guy? 
Yeah. So, so Michael yeah. Weitz was the former head of investor relations uh, for for WB. Uh, when we would listen, he was um, he he moved into a different position when about in 2020, I believe, when Christina Salen was hired as CFO, he moved into a different position. He was no longer head of HR and that, or head of IR, and that's where Seth Zaslow moved into that position, who is now the head of IR for TKO. In, in any case, you always heard him talk at, at the opening of, of earnings calls. Uh, also laid off was Craig Stimmel, who is the head of global sales and partnerships. Uh, he was formerly with Snapchat. We saw him mentioned and quoted in a number of articles earlier this year where W was putting over its, its great business that it's doing with sponsorships. Um, Karen Mullane, who is the controller and chief accounting officer, her name was on filings and I believe it was press release when she was hired. Um, Stuart Fry, who is the SVP of streaming technology and Matt Grayer, who is the C, uh, senior vice president of gaming. Uh, also Mackenzie Mitchell, who is a on-air interviewer on television. She confirmed on social media that she was released. Um, so that's about it. It's just another... Another round of layoffs as TKO continues to uh, to try to save money here. Uh, did it really help the stock price, though? Um, if you look at the stock price on Friday, it was basically flat when the indexes were slightly up. Uh, Dow Jones doing great, though, on Friday. But no, no discernible effect here. Uh, it, it did rise in the latter part of the day. I don't know if the news of layoffs had anything to do with that, but uh, pretty much flat not not a tremendous amount of activity um and the news of um raw's tv deal maybe being finalized soon that didn't seem to have any real effect on the stock uh, at this point anyway so it's always kind of a weird thing to, to try to figure out what what's really affecting w or in this case now tko stock um things that i sometimes think should affect it including um the antitrust lawsuit that ufc is facing um, that doesn't seem to have had any any effect on this stock at this point. Um, but then you have things like the Saudi government makes an investment in PFL, and that has a stronger effect than I think it should on this stock. So there's things that, that Wall Street perceives as significant events um, that I don't think are that significant sometimes. And then you have uh, – it's the other way around. And then we'll move to AW All In tickets are now on sale. We had the, was it, it was not a major announcement, but it was an important announcement. The pre-sale was happening and the pre-sale has now happened. And we have uh, the latest estimate from WrestleTix of tickets distributed for the second all-in at Wembley Stadium. Of course, what was the number? What was the number of tickets sold that they announced or paid attendance? Same thing that they announced for all-in 2023 earlier this year. Does anyone remember the exact number off the top of their head? Yes. It's 81,170-something. Is that right? That's 131. 81,131 okay. was the number last year. Um, WrestleTix, to, to, for a like-to-like comparison of, of the final count from WrestleTix, 83,000-something uh, was WrestleTix final estimate of tickets distributed. Mm -hmm. um, of course, number of people in the building, according to the Borough of Brent, the Brent Council. Does anyone remember that number for all in 2023? It was significantly less, wasn't it? Under 70,000? 70, 72,265 was the number that, that the government uh, gave us. So anyway, this is at 34,000 tickets distributed already um, with seemingly higher ticket prices. I haven't looked into this deeply, but everybody who's looking at tickets says that the you know these are higher ticket prices. 34,000 uh, 
tickets distributed at this point. Um, as far as the number of the the sections that they have open in this stadium, it's it's a little bit less than half of the sections are open at this point. Um, but thirty four thousand tickets distributed. Um, that seems to be under what they did at the same point last year. This is a longer runway this year, of course, than they're, they're going to have last year. Um, I think it's possible that they will end up with a lower number of tickets distributed. Like I'm pretty confident that they're, they're going to end up with a lower number of tickets distributed or sold, but they might end up with a similar gate. The gate was uh, claimed by Tony Khan to be a $10 million gate. So they could end up with a similar, maybe even a higher gate with higher ticket prices here, but with a lower number of sales. It's it's a very promising start, you would say, right? Yeah, this is, you know, I would have probably been more pessimistic about this, that they could, certainly this early, to, to get uh-huh. to 34,000. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be very interesting to see, and I'm sure we'll keep very close eye on this, as will WrestleTix, how, what we see, do we see a slow trickle, you know, between now and August? Do we see jumps if they announce certain things? I mean, it's going, we're, we're really not going to see a card until at least... I would say June in terms of like one match being announced, maybe even not until then. So it's going to take a long time before we actually get to like matches doing something. So what what we're looking at here, this, this, this 34,000, 35,000 people that have already purchased tickets are, are, are people who are kind of going no matter what. Um, now, do you think they should have, I've heard this theory, Rich Krejci, the flagship wrestling Patreon is a, a big uh, proponent of this. Do you think they should have had the tickets on sale dur- like during the Wembley show? Because they announced it last year during the show. Do you think they should have just said, and they had the date, so do you think they should have said, you can you know reserve your tickets now? And so you got people going to the box office while they were at Wembley Stadium. Yeah, that um, seems like a good idea. I mean, yeah. going Impulse way buys. back. We, yeah. Going way back, you know, like the legend has it that at Madison Square Garden, they would have the main event in the middle of the show and then do intermission and say tickets are on sale now. Yeah. If you want to see now. Bruno get his revenge next month. Yeah. Watch it. Yeah. And they would, um, but given that I, I will say they did, I think for all the talk about, you know, Oh, it's an important announcement, not a major announcement or whatever. I think AW did a very big job, good job marketing this, pushing this, making this feel like it's a annual major event, similar to what WWE does with WrestleMania tickets. WrestleMania tickets are on sale months and months in advance. They, they push the on sale date. They, they really hyped it up on television. I know that they sent some of their wrestlers over. Um, I know like Claudio Castagnoli, I saw him at the Arsenal game. Uh, everybody, week, but, every talent in, in AW was tweeting a very similar tweet promoting ticket sales. Yeah. yeah. So they really went, I think, as, as aggressive as possible in terms of marketing this. And I think if we're talking about the, the origin of this number right here being successful, I think that that plays a lot into it because they and I think it helps sell the event as this major thing like there. We don't have a, a date for any other pay-per-view event next year in AW except Revolution, which we just got. Um, it's going to be at the Greensboro Coliseum. Um, and so it makes it makes all in feel like that WrestleMania level event, like the super important event that we're hearing about months and months and months in advance. And you just absolutely have to get your tickets for it because it's going to be the biggest event of the year. And I do, I think that's a, a big success in terms of marketing the event is that, and if you can turn this into an annual event, then you have your kind of annual staple event. Maybe it doesn't travel, Maybe it's always in Wembley Stadium, but if I think 
this these tickets being sold is is a huge positive in terms of the viability of doing this as an annual event because I think that was the major question, which is obviously the first Wembley Stadium show was a huge success, but how close can they follow it up? What's the number they're going to need to hit? And like you said, Brandon, if they even get somewhere close to the gate figure that they got for last year's show, I think that shows a real viability for as long as the product remains relatively popular, that this is something you can do every year, which is obviously a huge financial and uh, benefit to the company and also an image benefit to the company in terms of making it seem like a big time major sports event. Um, and, and just for a quick comparison of the runway here. So WrestleMania tickets, the general on public sale for this year was August 18th, which is about eight months in advance. And this mm-hmm. is about nine months in it. Well, yeah, about nine months in advance. Yeah. So a little bit wrong, longer runway than WrestleMania. Yeah. It's just, but it's the idea of, of, of like, we're already promoting this event so far ahead of schedule, which makes is one of the reasons I think WrestleMania is WrestleMania because they start promoting it like months and months and months in advance. And I think that's a lesson maybe AEW has learned in terms of how they're deciding to market this Wembley stadium show. Um, I know, I think, I think I run the observer that, uh, I think this is already like the fourth biggest wrestling show in the history of the UK. It's in terms of both attendance and gate. Um, all you have is the, uh, the Wembley Stadium, the WWE Wembley Stadium show, SummerSlam 92, uh, Clash at the Castle, and then Wembley Stadium's AEW's all-in event last year. So it's already just at you know nine months out in advance, the fourth biggest show in the history of the UK. So, so in, in terms of revenue, Tony claimed on Friday on Twitter, uh, he's double verified apparently. I have a Chrome extension that tells me who's truly who who is legacy verified and who is paying for the uh, subscription. He, he is maybe originally verified and also paying. Anyway, uh, $4 million in ticket sales, according to Tony, which is over 3 million British pounds. Um, so if we, can we figure out an average ticket price and compare that on the fly here to what the average ticket price was last year or this year, I should say. Um, so $4 million. So how many, how many of these distributed do you think are sold? I would say like 90% or something like that. So if we take this number and multiply it by 90%, we're, we're at about 31,000 tickets sold. Um, and if you divide that by 4 million, well, 4 million, $4 million divided by 30, let's call it 31 tickets actually sold. That's an average ticket sold price of $129 US. Uh, 129. So compare that to $10 million gate last year and 81,131 sold. $123 would be the average ticket sold. So a slightly higher ticket sold price for what that's worth. I mean, that's consistent with these stories, anecdotes we get about ticket ticket prices are higher. And it doesn't look that far off, actually, though, from what the average ticket sold price was for this year's event, at least at this point. There we have it. Um. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. And then, new lawsuit. We'll touch on this briefly. John Pollock and I talked about this quite a bit on Wednesday. From the Court of Chancery in the state of Delaware, I can't help but be distracted whenever I think about the court of chancery, about how 
was it a front face lock is called or a reverse chancery? Is that, is that, is that correct? Isn't, that front, wrestling? Front, isn't a front chancery? Like that's like, yeah, are there the, any uh, wrestling commentators here on the broadcast who can, uh, who are, I'm sure are experts in wrestling moves who could possibly educate me on what a reverse or a front chancery is. I don't think I've ever called a chancery in a match, but maybe you should work all of that. But yeah, that. I've heard. Of are there it. any, uh, are there any grapple fuck wrestlers on the, uh, on the podcast right now that could tell us that? I don't know, we'll Anyone that wrestled to, a, te- a technical mat based style? We'll have to launch an investigation into that to see if we have any currently on the uh, on the broadcast. What's ch- chancery mean in as a as a English word? It is a court of equity, or in the British form, it is an office attached to an embassy or consulate. Anyway, um, there's a new lawsuit uh, coming from the Laborers District Council. and Contractors Pension Fund of Ohio. It's a pension fund that invested in WE stock. Um, and is not happy uh, with how this this merger deal came out. They allege that Vince McMahon forces – well, he did force his way back into the company. And they allege that Vince and his friend Ari basically made a predetermined deal to merge UFC and WWE. And Vince and his board didn't take seriously the other offers, uh, didn't take them as seriously as they should. And because of that, allegedly, the WWE shareholders ended up with a lesser deal than they should have gotten for a company transaction. Um, that's the gist of this, this lawsuit. Um, yeah, there, there are some compelling headlines in here, um, in, including what, – what did I send? I sent it to you guys in our, in our message here. There are some compelling headlines, including McMahon is a serial sex predator who costs the company millions of dollars and significant reputational harm. Um, a pretty good summary of – all the events that have happened uh, in the last 18 months or so surrounding the, the corporate endeavors of Vince McMahon uh, and all the, all the reporting from Wall Street Journal about alleged sexual misconduct. Uh, you know, the Reader Chatterton story has gone over here. I thought it was a pretty thorough and an accurate job. I mean, these are allegations, but as far as detailing um, what's been reported and what, what the details of the story are. So basically the argument – that this is making is that Vince did not explore the best option for sale uh, that investors would have liked to have seen instead going with a perhaps lesser lucrative option for investors by agreeing to the merger with Endeavor with the idea that Vince would be able to, to keep himself in power, which yes. uh, I guess you could say like that was Vin- you could argue that that was Vince's plan, whether or not it has worked out that way for him. Uh, is a different matter, but that is the idea. Um, and, and the that, notion that, is that the the other offers were cash offers to buy the company outright, which would have allowed the buyer to exclude Vince. Whereas yeah, this, like deal, hi- hypothetically, like selling to the Saudis, right? Not to or, say that, that or Liberty Media. Right. I, I don't know. I don't know that the Saudis really made it made a bid. My, according to what W has disclosed, I don't see the Saudis as one of these anonymized suitors. Right. But, but just any potential suitor that would have been able to, to offer a better offer than what happened with the, the Endeavor merger. Yeah. I, I think it's most likely the, the, the bidders, at least that WWE is referring to in their previous filing from May are Liberty media, almost certainly uh, Comcast, most likely, and maybe private equity like KKR uh, are, are the three suitors that they, in anonymous fashion, they, they mention. Um, but doing the deal with Endeavor, which was an all-stock deal, Endeavor UFC is, did not 
exchange money for for WWE in this merger. It's an all stock deal, and part of the agreement was that. Vince gets to stay on as executive chairman. He gets to pick certain members of the board for as long as he is the executive chairman. Um, and the, the, the weird thing about this deal as it relates to this, uh, as it relates to the allegations of this lawsuit, is that as, as W disclosed in their S4 in May, which is just like this boring narrative about this is how this deal went down, you know, it, they disclosed that Ari, that Endeavor offered them a 4357 deal. Basically, this new company will be 57% UFC and it will be 43% WWE. Um, they made that offer, but then Endeavor came back and said, we'll give you 49%. Instead of 43%, we'll give you 49% of the company um, and we'll take just 51 but only with the stipulation that Vince McMahon has to stay as part of this future company which we can speculate about why that may have, you know, to, to, to counteract accusations like this maybe is, you know, maybe why they went about it that way. Um, but, but that it would indicate that Ari, consistent with his comments in the CNBC interview when they announced this deal, was that Ari was insistent that Vince stay because he's so essential and so important to this company on its face. Any further thoughts there? People can read the the full complaint on Bloomberg, uh, Bloomberg's law website. Um, and then moving to Raw this week, uh, WB Raw. Do I have the, Do I have it in the notes here? Raw's rating with CM Punk's first promo back, his first appearance on Raw since his return to. Uh, he returned, of course, on Saturday at Survivor Series, and then he made his first appearance on Raw in nearly 10 years. 1.88 million viewers, 8.65 in the demo uh, for Raw on Monday. This is the highest total of viewership since the post-SummerSlam episode on August 7th, the highest demo since WrestleMania, since the WrestleMania episode um, on April 3rd. So... A big rating relative to what they did here, uh, relative to what they've been doing lately. They had the return of CM Punk, and they also had the return of, of Randy Orton, who opened the show. Um, the quarter hours uh, are, are interesting to look at. They, Of course, they did a commercial-free first hour. Um, they did... They opened the show with... They, they put you know live promos at, at prominent places throughout the show and really stretched out, tried to stretch out the audience to keep people around to see the CM Punk interview at the very, very end of the show. Um, started out the show with a live promo from Randy Orton. Uh, at the 9 o'clock hour, they did a Cody Rhodes promo, which included an angle with Shinsuke Nakamura. And then they did a, I believe at the 10, yes, at the 10 o'clock hour, they did a Seth Rollins live promo, an angle with Drew McIntyre. And then drew it all the way out. Didn't didn't make it clear really until you got about halfway through the show that, oh, you're going to have to wait until the very, very end to watch this CM Punk show. I watched this entire episode of Monday Night Raw. Did either of you watch the entire episode or did you have you at least seen the promo? I've seen the promo. I saw the promo. I would absolutely never watch the show. Why, why not? Why would you not uh, watch an entire no 180 minutes of... World Wrestling Entertainment has uh, no appeal Monday to Night me. Raw. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 we talked about this on Wednesday, but I think that this is probably the best thing to do in terms of if you want, if your goal is to have a higher total average uh, viewership number, 
stretching it out to the very end is probably the thing to do. There was some growth here uh, in that final quarter hour, but it was by no means the most watched quarter hour on the show. The most watched two quarter hours, uh, the, the only two quarter hours that averaged over 2 million viewers were the first two. Now, granted, those also had no ads in them because the only the last two hours of Raw had any ads in them. Uh, but there was some growth here for the final uh, quarter hour. But, you know, they lost some viewers in stretching it all the way out. Um, I would imagine if you put Punk at the very beginning of the show, you would have higher quarter hours here, but maybe you would have a lower total viewership number as people felt that they no longer had to stick around because they saw the big feature that they wanted to see. Um, there's that, and there's the table. Um, 16% growth in the in the demo for the final quarter for CM Punk. Um, and we also had some pretty strong growth here in the 945 quarter hour, which had the first portion of the Seth Rollins live promo before Drew McIntyre came out. Okay. Yeah, something to keep an eye on, I think, would be we know that there's there's in, obviously a lot of interest in CM Punk being in WWE. Um, can that interest be translated into once he becomes engaged in storylines and are people in, interested in the CM Punk character on their television screen? Because I think if you look at his career in AEW, the biggest business was his return, and then obviously his first match against Darby Allen, which did, was responsible for the biggest pay-per-view number in the history of the company. And that was largely because there was a lot of intrigue in seeing CM Punk's first match. It wasn't necessarily a storyline that he was involved in. And so it would be interesting to see if how consistent this interest in him goes, if they can take the interest that exists in him currently and translate that into people becoming really engaged with him feuding with Seth Rollins or whoever he ends up feuding with. And can is it can CM Punk be a consistent, huge draw for WWE once it be, the novelty of him appearing for the first time wears off, I think is the major question for him going forward. And we already have odds here. Um, our friend uh, Nicholas Delion uh, made sure I was aware of this. That there are already betting odds on certain gambling websites that you can place a bet. Uh, the odds on whether CM Punk will be W champion in 2024, that's at plus 400. Will CM Punk be fired by WWE in 2024? That's at plus 800. And will CM Punk uh, return to AEW? In 2024, that's at plus 1,500, less likely, according to uh, to these odds. Uh, and then there's others. Will, will CM Punk leave WB before WrestleMania, plus 700? Before the end of 2024, plus 300. So so decent odds there. Uh, to, uh, before, uh, in 2025, plus 400. In 2026, plus 500. And 2027 or later is plus 600. So, What does BWW champion mean? Like what specific title does he have to win? Which which belt are they referring to? Yes, yeah. some, some ambiguity. The WWE there. Championship. Who even has that? It's one of Roman's belts, right? Is, is that the Roman Reigns Championship? Is is that the Seth Rollins Championship? Yeah. Is it is it? Are we talking about a ubiquitous World Championship? Or are we talking about any title belt? Do you think should we have like a separate like boxing has like a separate committee that's sort of independent of promoters, right? That that determines who the champion is. Shouldn't we have like a separate committee that just um, independently? votes on and determines like a, I don't know if it's a sanctioning body, but some sort of championship committee to, to independently, indifferently, disinterestedly determine who the real professional wrestling world champion is. This is a good idea. I believe uh, PWI does that, doesn't, don't they? Yeah. It's, it's pro wrestling. There's politics even in that. If there were independent third parties, there'd be some type of politics. But, but ELO, I have an ELO math, uh, uh, formula, formulation that we can just use to, to determine that. 
What about that? Uh, I would expect... I would be very surprised if he leaves WWE before WrestleMania. Um, so if we... Uh, as, as I go off on this tangent, I apologize. Um, so if we... I actually calculate the ELO every Sunday morning because if you remember all those months and months and months ago, we did our, like our fantasy draft of like, you know, our, our, our teams of wrestlers to see who would, who would have the highest ELO at the end, which we haven't updated on in a while. Um, but I don't think I'm doing good in it. So somebody, has neither, Jay, uh, somebody has Jake yeah, like, and Athena though. So I don't know. Anyway, well, I, I have Jade Cargo, but she hasn't uh, wrestled in forever. And, and yeah, uh, she, she hasn't Jesse had a match has in September. Nick Aldis I picked, yeah, I picked Nick Aldis. I thought he was going to get a big push in, in Impact Man, and then he was going. <laughs> no, he hasn't had any matches. I think he's he's probably if you're if you're inactive for ninety days, I think you get thrown off the list uh, under my formula. But number one, the the if the men's world champion according to ELO would be Will Ospreay. Um, if if we were just trusting ELO and nothing else, uh, this is based on singles matches only. Uh, and then Athena is the leader among women. Um, where, where are is Roman Reigns? Has Roman Reigns had a match since since SummerSlam? He might have been, been thrown off this yeah, list for activity. Yeah, he had the uh, LA Night match at uh, the Saudi Arabia. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. So where is he? Is he not on here? I don't know what's happening here. Anyway, Gunther is the top WWE wrestler on this list, uh, and and Jay Cargill is the top WWE wrestler on the women's list, who has not had a match in WWE yet. Uh, followed by Bianca Belair. Uh, so anyway, anyway, she yeah. was uh, she was on the field at the Big Twelve Championship game as a representative of WWE. And so was the Undertaker. Yeah, it was her, the Undertaker. Uh, there's a few other people. There. more. Okay. Two people that don't have matches in WWE: the Undertaker and Jade Cargill. Well, so and then then we have a press release. We talked a little bit about what we anticipated would be in this press release uh, last week, but they did put out the press release. WWE did Stanford, Connecticut, November 28th. WWE announced that Survivor Series, which emanated from the Allstate Arena in Chicago, set new records for the highest viewership, largest gate, and best merchandise sales in the event's 37-year history. I will note that they do not specify whether that's adjusted for inflation, but it's probably – at least the, the gate number, I believe, is is even adjusted for inflation uh, if you exclude – oh, yes, well, for, for the event of Survivor Series. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Survivor Series for Survi- – viewership for Survivor Series was up 44% versus the previous record set in 2022 with 17,138 in attendance. A number that I will mention is extremely close to Russell Tick's estimate. Um, I think it's it's off by less than a hundred from what WrestleTix estimated. Um, with that many in attendance, the event broke the previous Survivor Series gate record set in Brooklyn in 2021, um, which I think would put this gate at somewhere over 1.5 million dollars. Paul Levesque referred to it in the press conference as neck and neck with WrestleMania in 2006, and that gate was said by WWE in its own press release at that time, all those years ago to be 2.5 million dollars um so this gives us a vast range between which this gate must have been maybe polestar will will enlighten us um in partnership with fanatic survivor series broke the premium live event all-time merchandise record uh sponsorship re- revenue was up 24 percent versus last year um the surprise return of cm punk after nearly a decade away drove massive digital engagement more than 71 million views across all platforms making it the most social posts in company history claiming clearly they're aggregating various social media platforms uh to come up with, with that fabulous number um we have any takeaways here um i would like to talk a little i guess uh, uh on about the um the attendance number and why they're reporting a number that is so close um i guess the, the viewership thing though i do have a slide that pertains to that viewership was up 44 percent um we should always keep in mind that 
Peacock subscribers, the reach of Peacock versus last year's summer uh, Survivor Series is undoubtedly much higher uh, in Q3 of last year. Uh, we don't. Have, this, is, this took place in Q4, but we have the latest data that we have, of course, is for Q3 because Comcast has not reported Q4 yet. Uh, so let's just compare to compare, you know, a, a, a true year of year difference here. We have 28 million subscribers in the current quarter, well, in the Q3 quarter, 28 million versus a year ago, 15 million. So that's almost doubling. That's almost a 100%. It's something like an 80% increase. And we got a 44% increase in viewership. Um, so viewership is up for these PLEs as they report just about every event. Viewership is up. Um, but the reach of Peacock is also up, which is surely helping. Um, which is not to take away from the fact that we can look at TV ratings and we can look at attendance. And those two things are genuinely up, which reflects a genuine increase in interest, uh, fan interest in WWE. But these these viewership numbers, by the way, how many viewers? So, you know, 44% more than last year watched. So about how many viewers is that? I, I should have like Jeopardy music ready when I ask these questions. Mm-hmm. I don't even understand the question. You're asking what? How many viewers? So, Survivor, according to WWE, Survivor Series was up. Survivor Series viewership was up 44 percent versus last year's Survivor Series. So, how many viewers is that? Uh, we don't know. Do we even know last year's number? Yeah, like correct. We don't know. They just tell you this is the this is the percentage difference from last year. We're not telling you what that number was last year. We didn't tell you that number last year. We just we're just gonna it could be a difference of maybe there were only a hundred people watching and now there's 144 people watching for all we know. Could be could be a billion people watching last year, and now there's one point four four billion people watching for all we know. Um I suspect it's closer to like a a million, uh something like that. We have had some some not not you know, W not necessarily W public disclosures, but we have seen you know, I, th- I think we saw a slide from a from that presentation that that um officials were making in Florida. Uh, in Orlando, trying to get um, Royal Rumble in Orlando, where they did disclose some numbers there that they, that seems to be ultimately from WWE. But anyway, um, viewership so good as many of these streaming services report and celebrate. Viewership is so good that we're not going to tell you exactly what this viewership is. Um, in any case, streaming is the future. Um, so this this yeah, is something else. I was going to say, just know that it's up. That's yeah. all you need to know. It's up. Yeah. Um, do you, do you think that like investors really care about like these these kind of monthly um, re- releases that just say you know record for viewership gate merchandise sales? I mean, I would guess it's great that seemingly most of the pay per views that WWE runs these days sell out or come close to selling out. And in today's you know day and age, the price of things, if you're doing that, you're going to set merchandise and you're going to set gate records um and given that the peacock data as we said suggested it's it's up almost double what it was last quarter obviously viewership is going to be up as well so it seems almost like part of it is reflected that the product is hot like you're obviously selling out so that means your product is hot and you're selling merchandise and that means that your product is hot but it also just seems kind of baked in at this point it's it's not it's kind of i guess losing its specialness when it happens every month even though it's obviously a benefit to the company that they're doing great business. I think the investment community understands that, or I mean, you don't see these press releases come out and have a huge effect on, on the stock price. I mean, I think they are understood 
in a, in a proper context, proper enough, you know. Um, but can we discuss why? So do I have uh, a WrestleTix spreadsheet out here? So the number of tickets distributed for Survivor Series this year, um, if I as I set up my uh, my spreadsheet so I can look up what this number was, um, they announced seventeen thousand one hundred and thirty eight. And the number from WrestleTix was 17,102. So that is a difference of 36. That's a pretty close number relative to other numbers WWE has announced comparing those to uh, WrestleTix. Um, for example, I think the, the WrestleMania announced number versus the WrestleTix number was something like 10,000 apart, something like that, right? Um, we had the the information request returned to us from the city of San Antonio showing that, you know, they announced something like 51,000 and we had thousands less, uh, in attendance, both in terms of tickets sold, distributed drop count, all that, uh, thousands less than what they announced. Why was this number so close? Do you think to what WrestleTix actually reported? It's because they basically sold out the building. They actually sold out the, um, you know, but why not exaggerate by a few you know, thousand a more and, and include – I mean I'm sure there were more than – I'm sure they could have got this number high, a lot higher by at least hundreds if they counted all the staff. Counting suites and stuff like that. Do you think and, this and is the, part of and the, the staff and the security So do you think this talent, is signs of, of new management of Endeavor owning? Maybe, maybe that's – I didn't, I didn't think of that. And, and ju- maybe just the fact that they know that there's something like WrestleTix out there that – estimates these numbers and people to, to some degree follow them. Uh, I wonder if that's putting any pressure on WWE to disclose a number that is more honest relative to what people imagine when they hear the word attendance. They imagine spectators in seats watching the show primarily to do that. They do not imagine that number to include staff, crew, security, and things of that nature. Um, so there's that. Um, and then, briefly, we didn't have a collision number last week, but we do now. It was 317,000 viewers going head-to-head with Survivor Series. It was, by slim margin, the lowest, the least-watched collision in its normal time slot in the show's six-month-or-so history, and five-month-or-so history at this point. Um, the only number that was lower was the previous week where collision was out of its normal time slot on Friday night, going head-to-head with SmackDown, where it did 270 thousand viewers this one again 317 um pretty close to the number where it went against nxt no mercy where it did 327,000 viewers uh but collision taking a beating here uh rampage also had its lowest number ever which was also preempted at seven o'clock but it's its lowest preemption number ever um and if you if you hide these um these of these events where it went against WWE premium live events it does look like a you know, and some of this is college football. But if we even if we sort of stop college football uh, in September and say let's look at only the college football time, we do. You know, we're in the four hundreds, in the five hundreds, and then uh, I guess we we only have this week in recent memory where it did three ninety six and it was up to four hundred. We'll see what last night's number did, where it was going against college football, but no WWE big event on Peacock to to go against. Um, is the energy around collision? What's it, I guess the, ultimately the question is like in, in January where there's no more. And when does college football actually end? 
When, when is there going to be no more college football on Saturday nights? This uh, week? Yeah, the, the championship games were this week. Uh, there's Army-Navy, but that's in the afternoon next Saturday, and then you got bowl games throughout December and early January. So it's over. There'll be no more college football competition on Saturday nights. Well, there should be there'll be bowl games, I assume. And plus NFL, we're starting to get into yeah. NFL Saturday night wrong. Ah, too. Right. Right. That's true. And then yeah, once once college football kind of wraps up its significance on Saturdays, the NFL will will move into Saturday. And then uh, there'll, there'll probably even be evening NFL playoff games on, on Saturday. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's yeah, one or two. Um, so this isn't going to be this isn't going to be any easier until maybe mid January. No. Yeah. Okay. I guess like when this is when we're out of the way of American football here on Saturday nights. What's this number going to be when they're I mean, not gonna, going against WB? It's going to be tough because they they hit the college football season and things like that. And, and I think and I think maybe the, the loss of CM Punk and other things. The, the habit of human collision isn't there. So I don't know if it's going to improve dramatically once we get to, to January and February. Um, I don't get the sense that they're not trying with collision, that they, they are not putting marquee matches on collision like they did with Rampage, because I do think they are doing that. But I do Continental it, Classic matches are on this show. Right. Like last night they had, you know, Brian Danielson's first match in the Continental Classic against Eddie Kingston was the main event. Mm-hmm. We've seen them put, you know, title matches, the tag title change and world title matches have been on collision. I, I don't think that that is a uh, that's an issue. I think they're putting effort in there, but it's it's tough to to get establish a show on Saturday night that people are going to get in the habit of viewing, especially if they are, you know, big college football fans or something like that. And the marker for success, according to Tony himself was that compare it to what that time slot was doing before collision was there. Um, we don't have great data, <laughs> fortunately for him to, to look at that with, with, you know, much to, to look at that pretty clearly. Um, in terms of the demo, I believe we have some data from uh, spoiler TV about reruns, which is what was in this slot mainly uh, on Saturday nights at eight. Um, in terms of the demo, it is probably still doing a little better than what rerun programming was doing um, in the same time slot. Um, not not way better, but maybe a little bit better. Uh, and we'll see, again, what it will do once major sports competition is out of the way uh, in, the, in in late January or so. Um, but that's pretty much it until we get to, I know we've already gone through this uh, cable coverage stuff. So I guess we, we will get to um, the merchandise analysis um, unfortunately, I, I found out that my script was not recording AEW merchandise uh, the other day. Uh, was not recording AEW merchandise data for November uh, the other day. So we only have WWE uh, merchandise data. AEW merchandise data will pick back up for December. Uh, but so we have the number one category here. I've tried to split this up into wrestling talent, as some would say, WWE superstars, and we have LA Knight. Number one, number two, I should have done this in reverse order, right? Too late. Number two, Cody Rhodes. Number three, Jay Uso. Number four, John Cena. Number five, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Number six, Rhea Ripley. Number seven, Bray Wyatt. Number eight, Roman Reigns. Number nine, WWE 
at number 10, Randy Orton. Remember, this is this is for apparel only. This is only for the stuff that WWE uh, shows in its apparel section, which is mainly T-shirts, but also like hoodies and stuff like that. I will show you now. This is the page that we're looking at here, um, where today the top item is Randy Orton's T-shirt that says on the back, Daddy's back. Would either of you like like a, a shirt like that for uh, you no, know, like I just, Christmas? I can't Christmas believe Steve buy this stuff. <laughs> Maybe maybe you would prefer a Rhea Ripley uh, m- mommy's on top or whatever. I I did say. see his promo too, Randy Orton's, and as soon as he said that, I'm like, that's that's a T-shirt that they're gonna sell that T-shirt a lot. In any case, um, the the top selling items. Uh, so and, and by the way, how am I calculating this? I, I'm looking at this page right here and saying, okay, I'm gonna record this data every single day every single day and look at the rankings and try to make some estimate about what's, what are the top selling items based on that, that presumably honest ranking. And we got some, some encouragement a few weeks ago that, that this is pretty accurate based on what WB posted on their own website about who the top sellers are. Anyway, top selling items again, number one, LA Knight, Yeah shirt, the black one, um, men's black J Uso main event, t- main event J Uso t-shirt, um, a, the Rock versus Stone Cold t-shirt, the ugly sweater, um, a LA Knight Let Me Talk to You t-shirt, a light blue slash orange John Cena Never Give Up t-shirt, the yellow LA Knight Yeah t-shirt, Cody Rhodes Claim Your Kingdom Flames t-shirt, Roman Reigns Greatness, excuse me, Roman Reigns Greatness Amongst You Goat t-shirt, the Jey Uso Yeet t-shirt, another great Christmas gift candidate. And Cody Rhodes, Claiming Your Kingdom, Flames, Sleeveless Hoodie. So there's that. Um, those are the top sellers. Um, I, I might post a, a post about this on Patreon. I, it, it, we, since we're at the end of the show, I guess we can, we can discuss my, my frustration with why with how this stuff gets aggregated. This is an estimate. This is not a reflection of actual sales volume, but this is... I, you know, I'm after WWE disclosed their, their listing, I'm more confident that, that these estimates are accurate. Um, but with, um, blue check mark Twitter engagement, it, it really frustrates me how, how this stuff gets re-reported and, and aggregated. Um, but I guess one, one good thing about Elon Musk making a fool of himself is that it looks like blue check mark revenue is, is going down. So maybe the incentive to, uh, get engagement on Twitter with Twitter aggregation posts has diminished, but we'll see. Um, Sadly, you're talking about the world's dumbest people. So it's hard to really anticipate what their moves are going to be. So in in, in terms of just looking at the leaders for each month for WWE, based on these estimates, uh, this is the now fifth month in a row. that LA Knight has been the number one category. Um, January was Cody Rhodes. February was Cody Rhodes. March was Steve Austin. I'm guessing it has something to do with like a 316 deal. Yes, they, had the, they had the 316 day shirts. Yes. We'll see next year if, if Steve Austin is able to to keep hold on to the mantle in March. Well, when, he's, when he's doing his big WrestleMania angle for CM Punk, he'll certainly. Uh, he might be. Um, in April, Cody Rhodes. In May, Bad Bunny is Bad Bunny. Uh, was on the, the show in Puerto Rico, Backlash. In June, Roman Reigns. In July, yeah, It's Knight's good Roman Reigns made this list once. 
he did. He is the number two. He's, I don't know what, what what was the list we looked at it a month, about a month ago. Roman Reigns is up there. He's up there. He was like number two. Uh, Cody Rose is number one, but Roman Reigns was number two. Um, and, good. But we have L.A. Knight now on a streak, though. He he, he might end up being number two uh, before this year is over. We'll see. Knight. Um, every month since July, the leader has been estimated to be L.A. Knight. Yeah. This considers, by the way, e-commerce only. I, I don't know that this considers any any merchandise activity. What does this what does this tell us? What is that top ten list you just had? What does it what does it tell us? It is one data point that may be aggregated among a series of data points to tell us through preponderance who makes a difference in oh, that 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 question, who's a draw? Would you be comfortable? You not absolutely, not definitively, but it, but it, but this, along with other things that we need to look at, like who moves quarter hours, whose clips from weekly TV shows are frequently among the leaders, um, mainly those things. Would you feel comfortable saying that LA Knight is a very strong merchandise draw for WWE? Yes. Do you think it's notable at all that Seth Rollins is not in the top ten for this month? He so and then I also printed out directly, directly from the Sublime Text console. Is Seth Rollins in here? He's not. This is the top ten for. Oh, he, we had it in the other slide too. But he's not in the top ten for this. Yes, month. he he know. would be the one that stands out as someone who's pushed very hard on television. Um, now, granted, some of the, there's only a handful of of people on this list that I would consider full time wrestlers. There's he's dealing with. You know, it's hard for him. Obviously, Bray Wyatt um, is ranking very highly. Steve Austin. Um, I saw that, like, I think one of the top items was a, was a Steve Austin in The Rock. Like, is oh, it like a sweater. commemorative T-shirt? You're, you're, you're talking about, of course, the men's Ripple Junction Black Slash Blue, The Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin ugly holiday sweatshirt, I think is the rest of that. Okay, so name. it's a holiday sweater. Um so Steve Austin's getting credit for that. The Rock, though, cannot get in the top 10. He doesn't have enough other merchandise being sold. Um, right, the WWE merchandise, John Cena, even Roman Reigns, who I wouldn't really say is a full-time talent. Um, only one woman, but Ray Ripley remains kind of the biggest drawing women's wrestler that they have um, in terms of merchandise, it looks like, which would fit in with, I think, if you were to watch the program, who is the most popular woman on the company right now. Probably Ray Ripley. Um, I guess interesting. No, no, Sami Zayn or Kevin Owens. Um, I know they have done quite well earlier this year, but maybe that's indicative, indicative of them maybe not being as hot as they were um, at the start of the year. So, if we look at my report from last month, where, where I did the year to date, uh, the year to date data, uh, th- this image here for people watching in video is what WWE posted on on the shop website which had Cody Rhodes number one, apparently. I mean, they didn't number these again, but it it's this seems to be a top 10 list that is in order. Cody Rhodes, Roman Reigns, LA Knight, John Cena, Rhea Ripley, Seth Rollins, number five. Um, and where is Seth Rollins on my list? Number six. This was through October. This is not, not including November, but through, through October, mm-hmm. I did have him at, at number six. And this seems to be not considering... Like oh, no, retired I'm wrestlers. I'm sorry. This was this was their list. What did I? Where did I have Seth Rollins? I had Seth Rollins at 11. I had Seth Rollins at 11 lower. Right, but but you, I also included. I also seem to include things that they didn't include. Like I'm, I'm guessing they they excluded people who are not current wrestlers right. for them, like Steve Austin, like the NWO, uh, the W brand. 
Eddie, Eddie Guerrero. Guerrero. Still moving that merch, Eddie Guerrero, 20 years yeah. later. Yeah. And I should be clear, some, some of this categorization is debatable. Like, what, what should be a Bloodline shirt and what should be a Roman Reigns shirt? What should be – I do believe L, LWO is its own category, though. I would have to like go in and look at the code and exactly how I'm defining this. But, but I have an LWO category, which is different from the Eddie Guerrero category. So I make of that what you will. Yeah, I remember when we had this discussion sh- shortly after WrestleMania. There was a discussion like if Sami Zayn has the, the main event Oos shirt that Sami Zayn had that was a big seller. Is that the Bloodline? Does Roman Reigns? So the Usos, like who is who's getting credited with that in addition to Sami Zayn? Yeah, and, and there's issues with this with AEW, of course, too. Like the um, the MJF and Adam Cole better than you, Bebe shirts. Like sh- how should that be counted? Obviously, there's an MJF category, there's an Adam Cole category, but how should and I just have a separate MJF and Adam Cole category, or yeah, should there be like some the, the elites, mathematical like, attribution to MJF and Adam Cole as well? Yeah, or just like Kenny Omega has a Kenny Omega Elite shirt. Like, is it the Elite? Is it Kenny Omega? Is it the Young Bucks? Like, who who's getting it there? Yeah. Okay. And I think that's it for for this week. Unless you guys have anything else to add. Nope, not really. Um, I had uh, two episodes uh, of podcast content go up. The first is uh, I appeared on Alan Forel's Pro Wrestling Paradise podcast, oh, uh, wow. made my Pro Wrestling Torch debut. Oh, so wow. I have now, I now appeared on pretty much every major wrestling site's uh, podcasting platform, except I've never been on a PW Insider. But I'm not against appearing on on PW Insider content. So. If, somebody wants me to on their show, they can get in touch with me. But I was on Alan's show. We spent about three hours talking about an episode of TNA impact from November of 2013. And we also talked about an episode of hardcore TV uh, from ECW November, 1995. And we did talked a lot about kind of what was interesting and, and notable about those different events, of television, how they relate to modern wrestling, how some things have aged well, how some things have aged poorly. Um, but it was a really good discussion. And then on my podcast, the gentleman's wrestling podcast, I had Warren Hayes on. We talked about MJF's babyface run, some of the uh, polarization it's had with the AEW fan base, kind of what are some of the aspects of it that we don't uh, enjoy kind of what does this say about AEW's product in in general? And kind of talked about some of the uh, divisiveness that have been caused by one Maxwell Jacob Friedman as he continues to be, the most push uh, person in the company. Okay. And uh, of course, if you want to listen to this podcast next week, we are on Patreon uh, exclusively the rest of the month, patreon.com slash Islamics, along with TV ratings reports, viewership spreadsheet, monthly reports and podcast slides. So thanks everybody for listening and tuning in and supporting. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. What's so special about hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas. Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.